Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, motivational speaker, full-time psychology student, mama four, and military spouse. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and real stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, today I'm here with Emily, Emily Halifax, recently launched her life coaching business, working with women who have survived domestic violence relationships. And we've had quite a few episodes on domestic violence. So if anybody wants to listen, I'm going to link them up in the show notes uh, because they've, they're pretty pow- powerful. And it's such an important thing because I'm a su- survivor of domestic violence myself. After surviving two abusive relationships herself, spanning a total of six years, Emily worked through her own healing for the following five years. She spent her days in school getting her degree as a paralegal while she worked full-time at night as a waitress, all while raising her son, who is just a newborn, all by herself. And I understand that my first time in college, I was a single mom working full-time. Unfortunately, I did not succeed at that (laughs) and flunked out my last semester, but now I'm back at it. She took those years off from dating, realizing that she needed to learn to love herself before she could ever try to love anyone else. And she's done just that. She's now happily married with two children. After realizing that working at a nine to five in a law firm wasn't for her, she knew she had to create something bigger. In 2015, she started her own cleaning company. Cleaning houses was not only just a way for her to be able to earn an income, but it also aligned with her greater mission of helping women. And it's my goal someday to have a house cleaner. I hate so bad. (laughs) She is known by her clients as reliable, upbeat, detail-oriented, and most of all, for the fact that she always goes above and beyond. Today, she brings that same character to her coaching clients by creating custom, tailor-made programs that fit their individual needs. Emily, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'd love for you to take us back and tell us a little bit about your childhood. When you applied um, for the podcast, you kind of gave me the idea that this cycle of abuse kind of started in childhood. And I mean, that was kind of the same for me as child. My parents were never like, they never hit me, but it was a lot of psychological and emotional abuse for me. So tell us a little bit about your childhood. Yeah. And I want to say that, you know, the, Physical abuse isn't always the worst kind. I think if you've never been in an abusive relationship, you think physical abuse has to be the worst. And to me, the emotional, the verbal abuse can be more scarring than the physical abuse. Um, I'll take you back to when I was five years old. And now I'm not sure if this was the first time this has ever happened, but it was the first time I can remember. Uh, My mother left Uh, to go for coffee with friends and she didn't return for I'm not exactly sure how many days but it was several days Uh, yeah my sister was only nine and my brother was uh was just a a baby at the time so um you know I had to get myself to school my sister had to stay home with my brother and take care of him um yeah and this went on for for my whole childhood my mom would just say she was going for coffee um, and not come home. So for me, uh, as a child, I just was always like, well, does she not like me? Does she not love me? Is that why she doesn't want to be here with me? And I think that was really influential for the relationships that I had, um, when I was older and started dating. 
Wow, that's kind of horrific as a parent here, like listening to that. And like, I beat myself up for not being the best parent in the world. (laughs) Me too. But I mean, when we go to that extreme, like, it's kind of hard not to be like, wow, I'm an amazing freaking parent because I wouldn't have kids alone at nine, seven, and seven for like an hour, much less days on end. I can't imagine what that did to your siblings, your nine year old sister having to miss school to take care of your brother. Like, that's that's insane. I can't, that, that couldn't have helped her in her development either. Right. Right. Yeah. So how did you get, remove yourself from such a toxic environment? Uh, I started dating this boy when I was 17 and I dated him for a year and a half. Um, and it was never a good relationship, but it was someone who loved me. And so I, put up with a lot of abuse in that relationship, uh, ended up in the hospital where they thought I had a fractured skull. Um, and you know, he was arrested. We lost the apartment that we lived in. And, uh, I even ended up homeless after that. I had the option to return home with my mom. Um, and I did, but I went back and I, and I lived in a car with him because there was more love in that car to me at the time at, at, you know, then 18 years old, than there was at at my home with my mother. Yeah. I can't imagine being a mom and continuing to have children and not, not do the minimum, right? The minimum to take care of your kids. Like I can fully respect a mom who's like, I'm doing the best I can. And you can tell they are like, they're, you know, making sure their kids are, you know, going to school, they're, you know, fed, they're clothed, they're, you know, not spending significant amount of time on their own. I mean, all, I think parenting is imperfect, but to, for you to say there was more love in your abusive relationship than you felt at home, that speaks volumes about your relationship with your mom and what kind of mother she was. Yeah. And I mean, there was moments, I think of clarity for my mom where she was to me, the best mom. And I guess that's why when I was in those relationships, those moments of clarity with those men, Mm -hmm. those were the best relationships. And that's all I knew. And so yeah, I did. Yeah. And people listening may not know if they've never been in a, an abusive relationship is every abusive relationship has those moments where it is like, everything's going fine. Oh, they haven't like berated me or they haven't hit me or they haven't done anything in a couple days or a couple weeks or a couple months. This is going good. And you cling to those good moments. You do cling to them. Yes. You cling to them and you're just like, Oh, we need to go back to that because they are good people. And so I can, you know, they'll get better. They'll get better. And you keep thinking that every time, but they never get better. I mean, they get better, but they don't know how to stay better. Yeah. It's, it's so true. It's, I saw that a lot with my ex, you know, he would sober up and he would tell me how much you love me. And then, you know, a couple months later, I think our longest stint of him being sober and, and, you know, good to me was like six to nine months. And that was during my pregnancy with our daughter. Mine mine too. When I was (laughs) pregnant with my son and now this was a second relationship, uh, I didn't get hit for, for those whole nine months. Actually, I was only pregnant seven months with my son, but, um, yeah, it was, it was nine months. So total that, that I, that I went without getting hit. And, uh, and I thought, Oh, this is it. We're, it's not going to happen again. Right. But even though I, 
was like, okay, this is it. It's not going to happen again. I still put money in books as a way that if it did happen again, I had a way to leave. So I had a, I had a good amount of money saved up. And uh, two months after my son was born, when I, when I did get hit, I, uh, I left. And that was it for me. I never looked back. And I decided then and there that I was going to focus on myself. I was going to learn about myself. And I was never going to be in an abusive relationship again. I wouldn't yeah. do that to me. And I wouldn't do that to my son. Yeah, I you saying hiding money actually reminds me of a story my mom used to tell me about my dad, which she probably told this story when I was way too young. So I probably shouldn't have known this information. But she said she used to hide money in the Bible for like diapers for me as a baby. And he wow. he was an addict and he would find it and spend it on booze or drugs or something like that. And so she wouldn't even have money to buy me diapers as a baby and would have to ask family members whether they could give her money and, you know, so she could just provide the basics for me. So, so sorry to hear that. Yeah. He's a narcissistic abuser. He's fun. Mm -hmm. I don't have a relationship so with him. No, <laughs> yeah. I no longer have a relationship with my mother either. So I understand uh, losing a parent um, because of those behaviors. So somebody listening might be wondering, how did that come about? When did you make that decision? And how did you enforce that decision with your mother? Well, when my son was a small child and he was a toddler, she was, you know, his, my babysitter for him. Mm -hmm. um, I realized that she was doing the same manipulations with my son that she had done to me as a child with my father. And that scared me. And so I made the decision after my daughter was born uh, that I couldn't allow that to happen. It was too scary for me that my son might feel the same way towards me as I did towards my parents. And I wasn't going to allow that. And so I, I excused her from our lives. And yeah. I, haven't talked, I haven't talked to her since then. Yeah, this a similar thing happened with me. My my dad just didn't change, right? Like he mm -hmm. continued the same manipulative, toxic behaviors. And I'm pretty sure I've been diagnosed with bipolar too. And I'm pretty sure he's either bipolar or borderline personality disorder himself. Oh, okay. Yeah, because there, you would be talking to him and everything would be great. And you say one wrong thing and it was like something changed and he would lose his mind. Um, and for me, I decided last year when my nephew got really sick and we did a GoFundMe and he berated me via text for not informing him about the GoFundMe. And I said to him, like, my nephew's sick in the hospital, could die. And you think that you're my number one priority here? Like, and so I was like, you know what? You're never going to change. And I haven't talked to him since. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you just have to make those decisions for yourself. No, even though they're hard, um, sometimes they're what's best for, for you and for your family. Absolutely. So I'd love to, we kind of got off track with the abuse. So the first relationship, how did that come to an end? You guys are sleeping in a car, you cracked your head open. You know, how were you able to get out of that relationship? Um, living in a car didn't stop the abuse from happening and uh, I, I met the new boyfriend who, who happened to be abusive also, but 
he actually helped me get out of that relationship. But it's never abusive in the beginning. They're always so nice. No, he was so nice. He was very, very charming. Um, and it took, I think, maybe four months before, before the abuse in, in initially started with that relationship. Right. So he, he was so nice and convinced you to get out of this abusive relationship only to lead you into a new one. And that is your, your son's father, correct? His biological father. Biological. My son's father is actually my husband. Well, yeah. We adopted him um, last year, last March. Oh. My my husband likes to refer to my older daughter's fathers as sperm donors, <laughs> and uh, we I use the words biological father because um, they're still both in their lives. Um, even the one that was abusive to me because the court system is fucked up. Um, it, it is. It is. Yep. Yep. Uh, so we, we use the term biological father too. Uh, that's how we refer to to my son. Uh, when we talk about him, it's the easiest and for him to understand. Now, does your son have any th- any relationship with his biological father? No, not since he was three and a half. Okay. Um, yeah, and I don't want to get too much into that. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, that's all I wanted to know is the relationship. Um, I respect, you know, not wanting to delve in because it's not, I always say like, my story is my story, but my kid's story is not my story. That's exactly how I feel. So I have to toe the line of like what's mine and what's theirs. I don't want to be on the podcast sharing too much about their personal journeys when it has not a lot to do with me. Absolutely. I agree. Um, So tell us about the transition in, in this relationship. You got pregnant with your son. He didn't lay any hands on you, but he started hitting you again after your son was born. He did. I'm, my son was in the NICU for a month mm-hmm. and it wasn't until he came home from the hospital, but I could feel it building up. Mm-hmm. I, could, I, could, I could tell he was trying to, you know, my ex was trying to bury that um, aggression. Uh, and when it came up, it came up the worst that it's ever came up. Um, yeah. It was just awful. And so I knew I had to leave. I called movers and I moved back, back in with my mom when, um, when he was at work. Uh, and I lived with my mother for the next six months until I could find a place, um, find a job and get back on my feet. Cause I, I lost my job, um, because I had been, um, on bed rest at the end of my pregnancy. I had a high risk pregnancy and then I didn't want to go back to work because my son was a NICU baby. He needed a lot of, yeah. uh, a lot of attention from me. So that was my main priority. And so moving back with my mom at that point, um, was what needed to be done to, to be able to take care of my son the way that he needed me at that time. My twins were preemies too. So I completely okay. understand the NICU. Yeah. yeah. They only spent two a little over two weeks. They were only five and a half weeks early. Um, so they spent a little over two weeks in the NICU. Uh, but they were, my daughter was so tiny when she was yeah. born. She was like four pounds somewhat else. I never seen a whole, a baby that small in my entire life. And five pounds, one, one ounce. I couldn't hold him for two weeks. He was so tiny and just underdeveloped and yeah, but he bounced back fast. He was, he was then 
the chunkiest baby you've ever seen. (laughs) That was my son. My daughter, um, did my son was like five pounds, I think four ounces. And he became the chunkiest baby baby ever. She, not so much. She's always stayed kind of really petite. Okay. Yeah. NICU babies. So I understand that. So you, uh, in, in losing and in, in having to stay home with a baby, because a lot of people who are, are, you know, babies, a lot of people have healthy babies, right? They come out like my two oldest daughters, like you take them home, like a couple days later, you're good to go. And only those, you know, pre- babies of preemies could understand, um, or parents of preemies could understand how much work and how much love and how much attention preemies need so they can develop naturally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was my, my main goal. Like once he entered my world, that was all I cared about. And, and he got every single ounce of attention from me that I had. Yeah. Yeah. And my kids were definitely my catalyst for leaving my abusive relationship too. I could only see it. I could see it start to leak over to the kids, you know, where, where he could possibly start to be abusive to them. And I was like, I can't, you know, I could, I could, as silly as it sounds, I could take it, but I couldn't do, I couldn't allow that to happen to my kids. When abuse happens to your children, it is a whole nother ballpark of internal struggle for a woman. Um, It's the worst. Yeah. And so how did it transition after your ex? Did he let you go? Was he stalking you? Was he blowing up your phone? How did, how did that happen? He took me to court as soon as, um, I left. He, I changed my number. Um, he knew where I was. He would show up at my mom's house. Uh, he would knock on the downstairs neighbor's door. So they'd let him in and he'd all of a sudden be at our door. Um, a lot of police were called. Uh, and, and they suggested he goes to family court and he, he took me to family court right away, um, to try to actually take custody of my son from me then. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was a battle that went on for, for years because in New York state, they do like to try to get, I'm from New York state too. Okay. (laughs) So they do want to give men a lot, a lot of visitation time. And he did get a lot of visitation time, uh, but he did not take my son. He would then not show up. He would not be there. Um, it was, it was a complicated, messy situation. Yeah. New York state is backwards. I think with their decisions anyways, I mean, progressive as in they want dads to have something to do with their kids, but backwards. And then like, in abusive relationships for me, <clears throat> CPS, my ex shot off a gun in the house the day I left and oh, CPS wow. was called. Um, and I had to do an interview with them and everything. Cause I left that day. Right. And they even found it. I have the paper like blocked away in, in my filing cabinet. They even found it that there was a problem, like that there was a, a violation. And yeah. Despite that, New York state still gave him joint custody of our daughter. Yes, it's, it, yeah. it was insane to me. The judge at one point went off the record and looked straight into my eyes and told me a bad father is better than no father at all. Oh. Oh. And then put himself back on the record. And I just didn't even know what to do, even with an attorney right next to me. I couldn't believe what was happening because I can tell you a bad father to the degree 
that we, the situation we had going on was not a better situation for my son. I can honestly say my ex has sobered up and become a better person. Um, and he's now remarried and his wife is wonderful. So oh, that's at, least, wonderful. at least in my story, it, <clears throat> it did work out in the end, but I mean, I had PTSD, like every time I'd have to see him just to give him our daughter, I'd have complete panic attacks. Me like, too. It was just, it was insane. And I mean, it took a lot of therapy. I'm, I mean, I'm still in therapy, uh, but it took a lot of therapy for me to work through that and not have complete panic attacks every time I see him. Now I still get the heebie-jeebies every time I see him because it's just bad juju, yeah. but I can at least be around him without having a full-blown panic attack. Oh, that's great. I don't know if I could. <laughs> and uh, the nightmares, the nightmares that happen. Mm-hmm. I just have night terrors. Night terror. I wake up in the middle of the night screaming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Me too. And, and you don't know how to, you can't stop them. You can't mm-hmm. control the things that happen when you're sleeping. It's awful. Yeah. My husband, um, they've calmed down. He said, I, I haven't had one in a while, but when we first got married, he said, I'd have to physically restrain you because you'd be flailing and hitting me. I gave him a black eye one time in my sleep, just uh-huh. screaming. And he's like, I didn't know what was wrong with you. Cause you were just you would have thought somebody was killing you by how you were screaming. And he's like, I would have to like literally hold your arms down until you calm down. And, and I wouldn't wake up. I didn't even know I had these. Um, He'd tell me the next morning and I'm like, Oh, (laughs) I didn't know that was a thing. Um, luckily my husband had, had, I already was over the night terrors by the time I started dating my husband, because I did take such a long break from dating. I had to go, go through those, on my own and I with therapy also and I also still see a therapist I think it's very important you have to have um, people to talk to you have to share when you've been in these kind of situations Uh, it's it's important I would suggest I would suggest for anyone even if you haven't been in these situations that therapy is great yeah, that's my. I, I'm working on my PhD in psychology, so it's my yeah. goal to be a licensed therapist when I grow up. <laughs> I wish you the best of luck with that because more people like you are needed out there. So that's great. I think my diverse um, experiences with childhood trauma and then abusive relationships and also having mental illness myself, all of these things will like even though they suck and it sucked going through them, they'll help me be a good therapist to other people because I can relate. Yeah. And that's why I decided to go into life coaching. Um, because for me, the therapy was great and the therapy is great still. Like it's something that I, I need and I look forward to. Uh, but for me, the bigger picture was tapping into myself. I had no idea who I was growing up. I had no idea who I was as a teenager in my early twenties. And I really needed that. I needed to find out what made me tick instead of always worrying about how I was going to make everyone else happy. I didn't know how to make myself happy. And so that was a huge, huge reason why life coaching appealed to me so much. Yeah. And for anybody listening, if they don't know, there is a difference between therapy and life coaching. Oh, yes. Um, So I, I, the way I explain it is, um, it can be diverse and people don't like my explanation. I'm like, therapy is more working on healing your your past traumas, or even if you haven't had traumas, like healing from your past, working through those things where life coaching is kind of more forward thinking. It's more of like, how can, what goals can we set for you? How can we help you move forward? 
So, I mean, they kind of overlap because a therapist isn't just going to talk about your past. They're going to talk about your present and how you can improve. And, you know, a life coach might have to talk a little bit about your past to understand how you can move forward in the future, but they are different. Yes. Ways. I think, you know, I think having a life coach, having a therapist, you know, you, they can duly work together. Exactly. Uh, it's a good corroboration they have. Yeah. Cause I, I was a life coach. I recently closed my business. Uh, and that's what inspired me to be a therapist. Cause I would have some clients that had some really deep rooted, um, mental struggles from things they'd been through. And I'm like, I don't have the tools to help you with that. And I'm not qualified to help you with that. Like, you know, that was triggering anxiety, depression, all those things. And so I'm like, I really do want to though, because I know what that's like to be yeah. in that place. So yeah, it is different. I think it's important as a life coach, you have to realize that you're not a therapist. And if someone needs a therapist, you have to let them know, I'm not the right fit for you. Right. Uh, and, and help them to seek out someone who could help them in the way that they need. Cause there is, there is a huge difference that, that, you know, you have to realize where the line is. Yeah. And I had to refer them. I, I several of my clients I referred out and was like, you need to see a therapist because mm-hmm. what I'm doing will not only go so far. It's like yeah, putting a bandaid on a gaping wound. I tell those people, once you get to a certain point, you can talk to your therapist and you can call me and, and we can try this again. But at this point, uh, this is what I think is best for you. Yeah, we actually did a episode on sexual abuse and I will link it up in the show notes. And she's a, a sexual abuse coach. And, oh, okay. she, and she said the same thing as, you know, yeah. you have like therapy needs to be the first step. <laughs> and then you come to me and I can help you. Yeah. So somebody listening may be in a domestic violence situation or may have recently left it. What kind of tips or advice would you give them to help them heal from that and move forward? Um, You know, I think the healing has to start once you're out of the relationship. I don't think you're capable of healing while you're in a relationship, but you have to get out of the relationship. Um, I think the most important thing is to dive into yourself, to really learn what makes you tick, to figure out what your core values are and your anti-values because there are triggers. And if you can learn what those, the biggest triggers are for you, you can subdue them a little bit and you can learn how to just act with more ease through life. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it's very important. Yeah, no, I agree. Identifying your triggers is huge. And, and, you know, a lot of people don't understand what triggers are. And I actually had somebody in the inspired women community who was like, when I think of triggers, I think of PTSD and I'm like, no, it, it doesn't have to be PTSD. You know, no, not at all. It, it triggers like an, a, it brings up a negative emotion maybe or negative. I put that in quotation marks because there are no negative or positive emotions, but what somebody would think of as negative emotion, like maybe you're angry or you're, you get really depressed or you become super anxious. Maybe it triggers a panic attack, you know, these kind of things that come up and you're like, I can't, I don't know what's going on here. I can't control this. And, you know, creating boundaries so that either you eliminate the thing that's a trigger period, or you create boundaries with him. Like my dad, I had to eliminate him because he's a trigger for me. Even talking about him in therapy, I get all worked up. (laughs) 
I can understand that. And I think that's really important for women to understand too, is that we can't suppress all of these, like you said, in quotations, negative emotions. We have to feel those and we have to allow ourselves the space. I mean, I have, I have those emotions. I have that anger and that sadness cell and, and, you know, Right now I am going through something, you know, very hard in my life currently. Um, and, and there's been days where I, I've been in the shower on the ground crying and I've been in there 20 minutes and I just let it all out yeah. and I get out of the shower and I give myself another hour to just feel it and deal with it. You know, you go journal it or, or whatever you have to do to, to, understand what it is that you're going through so you can come out of it I because agree. If you're trying to suppress those emotions all the time you're not going to be able to come out of it you mm -hmm. have to understand where they're coming from I liken it to imagine that you have a closet in your brain and the more you don't work through things the more you pile up baggage in that closet and someday either something's going to open it or it's going to get too full that it just explodes out and now instead of like you said identifying your emotion, working through it, um, you know, and allowing yourself to feel it. Instead, you're going to feel a whole lot and you're not going to have any idea where it came from. Yeah. And at first it's really hard when you tell people you have to feel these emotions, they've been suppressing them for so long. They don't know how to, right. uh, and it, it takes a little work. It takes a little time. Um, and it's not perfect when, when we first start doing these things. No, go punch a pillow. Just don't yeah. punch your spouse. <laughs> right. Don't punch a wall. Your no. hand will hurt and it will not feel good. No, I mean, there's healthy ways to express our emotions. Yeah. And we're all going to experience what people call negative emotions because they're part of life and they're there to teach us something and they're there to, there to identify. But like you said, if you suppress or oppress them, that's a very dangerous thing. Yeah, then you're playing with fire. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I've definitely, you know, seen that in my own life where, so when I first got together with my spouse, I was verbally abusive to him when I would get drunk and he's a saint and he stayed with me and he, we got me into therapy and everything is better now. I don't verbally abuse him at all, but that was that emotion coming out. Like that was that suppressed and repressed. And he was the, and the way that my therapist explained it is the reason he was my target is because not because he hurt me, but because he was the closest person to me. Yeah. And he was a safe person to do like explode at. And I mean, I heard him really bad, you know, with what I, the things I would say, but that was all that coming out because I had not learned how to process through it appropriately. Yeah. And, and I think that's why for myself personally, I took such a long gap between dating someone because I was so fearful. I'm a people pleaser. Right. I, I didn't want to do that to someone. And I realized the person I had become in these relationships and, and I did the same kind of things with, uh, with my exes and the way that I talked to them. It, it was, it, that's not you, you know, that, yeah. I guess that wasn't who I was. And I couldn't take a chance that I would say that to someone. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, and I did say those, my friends, I let out a lot of aggression on my friends, my family members. Um, I think it's normal. The people who you feel safest with are the ones that you then lash out on. Uh, and that's, what, again, why 
having a life coach or having a therapist is so important. So you can figure out healthy ways to, to not have to lash out. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't think we can stress that enough. Having somebody that can help you work through those things is super important. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was just fortunate. I should have taken a much longer break between relationships. I mean, I think I had a three month break between relationships. And fortunately, I didn't attract another like narcissistic abuser. I attracted a really good man who stuck by me. But I mean, he, he went through a lot with me in the very beginning because I had not worked on myself and I hadn't given, I didn't even know who I was. I didn't know who I was until like four or five years into our marriage, um, which I mean, we've been married eight years now and he's, he's still here. So, (laughs) but like you said, like that break was really important because it allowed you to be able to identify who you were and what you stood for but also to start healing those things. So you did not like make somebody else the victim of your aggression. Right. And, you know, throughout the years of having abuse, especially a lot of people who are in abusive relationships come from abusive uh, childhoods. And these are the patterns that you learn and you have to learn how to break those patterns. So that way you can have healthy relationships. I know a, big thing for my clients is they don't think that they can have healthy relationships Mm -hmm. and that's not true everyone can have a healthy relationship you just have to learn what that looks like yeah so I did a paper on um, exposure to domestic abuse on children and they said children who are exposed to domestic abuse are either four times more likely to become an abuser themselves or be abused themselves. So that's how the cycle continues is because, you know, you're seeing it. And in childhood programming, if you saw unhealthy relationships growing up between your parents or your parent and your step parent, you don't know what it's like and how to have a healthy relationship. No, you don't. You have to learn mm-hmm. <laughs> to have a healthy relationship. Absolutely. And, and, that, and that's just the key, the key to all this is just to take the time to, to learn. Yeah. yeah. So how did it work for you getting into your marriage? Did you tell him about all of the things you had been through and like, were you completely transparent or... Did that come out later? Luckily with my husband, I knew my husband 10 years before we started dating. I knew him while I was in those abusive relationships and he didn't know that at the time, but we had had many conversations throughout the years. So he, he already knew what he was getting into uh, when we started dating. So luckily, luckily for him. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that was the same with my husband as well. And I'm pretty sure that's why he hates my ex so much. Like he cannot stand him like at all. Like if I, he, my ex makes my skin crawl, my husband gets super angry. Oh yeah. Like, there are protectors. They're right. Oh, absolutely. And you know, my husband asked me out once before I went on a date with him. I was still in school and I made that promise to myself that I was going to finish school. I was going to get that degree and then we could go on a date. So I said, Call me after, uh, call me after December, whatever, um, whenever my last day of school was, and then we can go out and we had our first date on December 29th. So it wasn't, it was very shortly after. That's awesome. And you said he has now adopted your son. How did that, how did you manage that? Because my ex would never, ever allow that to happen. 
it was it was my husband's idea. My son was not no longer in his biological father's life, and so my husband, without any prompting or anything, like he was already his dad. My son was calling him dad, and and it was just a natural thing. And we contacted an attorney. Uh, he sent my ex the paperwork, and he signed over his rights. Wow. And it was it was a quick process. We filed, or we went and met with our attorney in December, and my son was adopted the following March. So yeah. it was a very short process, and uh, it was something we had talked about for um, a couple years beforehand. So we didn't make a quick decision. We we sat on it for a while, but it just made sense. He was already my son's father. Yeah. My oldest daughter's father has not had a whole lot to do with her in her lifetime. She did go live with him for like nine months, but it ended really tragically. Um, he was not, he doesn't know how to be a father. My husband wanted to adopt my oldest daughter because I mean, he has been her father for more than half of her life. And uh, my, her dad would just not, not let it happen. He was yeah. like, no way. We were lucky. He, he signed the paperwork and, and sent it back in, got it notarized and sent it back in uh, within just a couple of weeks. So we were lucky. We didn't know what we were going to get into when we sent him that paperwork. Uh, there was a lot of uh, anxious energy in our house wondering what we were going to have to do. We didn't know if we were going to have to fight for this or anything. And it was such an easy process. We wish we would have done it sooner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So as we're getting close to the end of our time and I want people to see like you went from this toxic, abusive childhood to several, like two other uh, very abusive relationships to allowing yourself the opportunity to take a break so that you could heal yourself. And now you're in a happy, healthy marriage and you're helping women with what, what they're going through after leaving a domestic violence situation. What do you do to help your clients? What are the things that you find are reoccurring that help these women be able to be the best versions of themselves? Cause isn't that the point of life coaching anyways? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the biggest thing really is, I think I mentioned it before tapping into their core values or anti-values uh, getting just an aerial look of where their life is now and figuring out where they want it to be. Um, a big issue that I, that keeps coming up is, uh, they, women need to have figure out a way to kick the loneliness that they're feeling and find the self-worth that, that they need and they need to learn how to trust in a, and start a new healthy relationship. Um, some of us don't know what a real loving relationship looks like. You know, one of the biggest things, you know, women coming from abusive relationship is they want closure and they're not, they need to learn that they're not going to get closure from their exes. They're going to get closure by tapping into themselves and finding out who they are and what they need out of life. I agree. I completely agree. And, you know, I was fortunate enough. I got closure from my ex because he must've been going through therapy or something. And he, he, I remember we were on the phone one time and he was like, I'm really sorry for what I did to you. Like I 
was a horrible human being. And I really honestly think the reason he became abusive to me is because he witnessed abuse growing up. And he had a lot of unpent aggression that he never got help with. And so, you know, when he tried to numb it out with drugs and alcohol and that didn't work. And so the people closest to you become your target. And, and so I became the, the target of his aggression. And, and now looking back, I mean, yes, I needed to leave that relationship, but I more feel sorry for him than I do feel angry anymore. And I think that happened before he ever apologized because I got that closure in myself. And I said, you know what? I can see the reason why. Now it's not an excuse for his behavior, but I can see the reason why he is the way he is. And I more feel sorry for a human being who feels like they need to be high and drunk all the time just to not have to feel that pain. I agree. And I went through the same situation with with my ex. I had to forgive him, not for him, but for myself. And I think that's important for a lot of women. When I first left him, someone told me, you never have to forgive him. That's not anything that you have to do. And I was, okay, I never have to forgive him. That's great. But I realized I did. I had to forgive him. I knew that he didn't come from the best life, that he wasn't happy with himself. It had nothing to do with me. It had to do with him that whole time. Um, and, and the forgiveness part of it was the biggest part of it. And I had forgiven for my son. You know, I have to be able to raise my son to be kind and loving and not have hatred in his heart the way that I had hatred in my heart and the way women have hatred in their heart. We have to let it go. And that's how we're going to heal. We have to let it go. Yeah. And a lot of times people do say, you don't have to get, forgive this person. But the problem is, is if you don't forgive and you don't have to forgive and say, you're welcome back in my life. And you don't have to forgive for them. You forgive for yourself because you don't want to carry that around with you. So I said to one of my clients, imagine, you know, like that, that Christmas movie, uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, where that they have the one ghost that has the long chain attached to him. Like when you don't forgive and you have all these things you're carrying around with you that you just add things to that chain. And so when you're not forgiving this person or that person or any other person, you have this huge long chain you're dragging around with. And if you just forgive them, not for them, but for yourself, because you're not going to hold on to that anger and resentment anymore. It's like you just release that chain. You're like, I feel so much freer now. I use the backpack analogy. You're just loading all these bricks into your backpack and you just have to let them, let them out because you're just hunched over. You can't even walk, continue with life because you're just so hunched over with all this weight on your shoulders. So let it go. Yeah. So as we wrap up the podcast today, Emily, what would you like to leave the inspired women audience with? I just want to let women know you're not alone. And if you feel like you're alone, there are resources out there for you. Um, If you don't have a family or friends uh, as a good circle of support, um, like we talked about, therapy is always going to be helpful. There are Facebook groups that you could join and you can become part of their communities. I know you have a wonderful Facebook group um, and there is domestic violence survivor Facebook groups. Um, There are Facebook groups for women who are going through domestic violence relationships currently, go seek one out and and find that relief for yourself. It's so important. Um, 
to find your community and find some place that you can have a safe space to, to speak. Yeah. And I have to say one of the reasons I felt empowered to leave my relationship is because I knew I had support and, and I didn't have a job. He had convinced me that I didn't need a job, right? I needed, I didn't need a job. I could stay home with her daughter. And I know that now that that was the way to control me um, because I didn't have any money to leave, but I had family that when I left uh, supported me and allowed me to get on my feet with my two kids and I don't know if I would have been able to leave that relationship without that support. So finding a community and finding a support system that can help encourage you um, and empower you to be able to leave that relationship is, is so important. I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Emily. Oh, thank you for having me. This has been great. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.